Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, hosted by Brian Castle. Brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago. He will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, on to the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the four-star Today's Market Explained. This is our Halloween. It's a spooky, it's a spooky episode, Chris. Um, I'm Brian Castle. I'm your host, along with Mark, my co-host, Christopher Reardon. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. And I, I guess you could say in Chicago, there's nothing more spookier than the weather since it's snowing on Halloween this year. So, snowing got that going. Outside, we're in our new headquarters. This is the first podcast uh, to, from our new headquarters. Uh, so, we're at One North LaSalle in our new uh, 22nd floor headquarters, and it's snowing outside our window. So, there we are. So, uh, anybody, everybody, welcome, welcome to the new, uh, the new headquarters and the new podcast for today as we end the month of October. Um, and we're coming up on daylight savings time, uh, going away. We're back to the regular time this weekend. So it's all that great stuff that happens in fall. So, uh, Chris is with me today. So Chris, for those of you who don't know, Chris is the director of development for four star. He's the master of all the portfolio activity, trading reports. He, Chris still loves his Cleveland Indians. I don't know why, um, but uh, caretaker of his golden doodle puppy. And he has three young Reardons with him in the household. Amazing. So uh, Chris, amazing guy. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here and glad to talk a little bit about the markets. And, uh, and I'm the founder and CEO of Four Star. Uh, I'm an Eagle Scout. I'm a trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation. I'm advisor to CEOs and insiders of companies. I'm the chief dad to Quinn and Evan and husband to the amazing Tripti. So that's our intro today. If you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends and give us a five out of five. The more rankings we get, the better it is. And the more people hear this and the better it is for, for everybody. So thanks for being with us today on Halloween. Chris, uh, we're going to do our markets. We're going to do economy. We're going to talk about what we see out there in general and in the, in the economic world. No interview today, just markets. So a lot of strange things are going on again, uh, Chris. It looks like we have commodities in the lead again. So give us give us the skinny. What's happening? Yeah, so um, a little bit of a shakeup and then some changes uh, from the asset allocation front. As you alluded to, Brian, commodities uh, moved up two positions uh, to retake that number one spot. It gained nine points from the last podcast and is now at 255, 255 tally points. Um, international equities uh, held in the number two position, uh, and it lost nine points since the last podcast. So it's at, and it's at 241 tally points. Mm -hmm. And then domestic equities was the big, uh, the big loser, if you will, uh, from an asset allocation perspective. It moved down two positions and lost 19 points uh, from the last podcast. So it's at 237 points now. Uh, so really. Commodities definitely did move up, but I'd say the story was more or less the top two asset classes, international equities and domestic equities, uh, falling backwards. Uh, so that's where we really saw those weak weakness in those two asset classes. Uh, cash is in fourth, and it gained 16 points from the last podcast. So we're starting to see some life out of cash. 
Usually if we see cash continue to move up uh, and overtake into the third and potentially second and first position, that would be a heavy indicator of, of really volatile markets. Um, obviously the markets have been volatile the last you know, couple weeks, two, three weeks. Uh, but if this continues, we would really expect to see that uh, cash potentially move, move upwards uh, and gain more traction. Currencies is in fifth, uh, plus four from the last podcast, and it's at 104 now. And then fixed income is still in dead last, minus two points from the last podcast, and at 79 uh, tally points. So not a whole lot of change in the bottom two. Uh, it is interesting to note, uh, for the first time in a while, we are starting to see a little bit of life in cash. Uh, starting to move up and gain some points here. So that'll be a very interesting interesting thing to watch uh, moving forward. And it'll be interesting to see if this volatility continues to uh, move that tally score up. Yes. So Chris, a lot of interesting thoughts on this whole uh, alignment. So commodities being number one, and they're number one by a, a now a pretty good margin. So clearly commodities are in the lead. Uh, we talked about this in the past. Commodities are not really a great asset class to be in the lead because they're a cost structure to business, to, to people. Uh, um, so commodities being in the lead for a long time hurts the economy, but in the short run, you know, there's oil moving, there's precious metals, different commodities, and we can certainly, you know, take advantage of that. And we have a couple of portfolios that do that, take advantage of that. Um, but, you know, so we're in the lead again. That's the way it was last year in 2022, which was a very bad year for the market and, Economy was weak, but not horrible. Uh, people think we're going into an economic uh, downturn here. We're going to talk about that later, but you know that's a signal that we're going into an economic downturn. And then domestic equities took a real big move down, and so that you know is a reflection of the technology, um, you know, huge boom, and now technology is in a correction, down more than ten percent from the high, and a little rally today and yesterday, but. You know, um, it looks like the commodity or the uh, the um, uh, technologies may keep going down. We'll see. May maybe this is the positive refreshers, or maybe this is the beginning of a big decline. But U.S. stocks did worse than international too, Chris. So international um, has been um, in one of the best runs for a while, and then it looked like it was fading, but it's it's come right back. So international stronger. And we have not seen a real strong international stock move since the mid 2000s. We had a little rally, I think it was in 2015, where international outperformed everything for like four or five months. But this move this year, since the first quarter, has put international on a real strong footing in dollar terms, because we're dollar investors in the US, right? So uh, that's interesting. And then Chris, the other thing, the other really notable thing, well, two, actually two more things. Cash has made that big move. Now, cash would make that move if they were worried about the markets in general, whatever the yields are. But now, institutional money funds are paying over 5%. So if you can get 5% on, on a money fund, people are selling bonds, they're selling other assets and just saying, I'm just going to go riskless at 5%. We haven't seen that in 15 years uh, or more. So um, that could be part of the reason cash is so strong, Chris, don't you think? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, we've the first time in a while we've seen, um, I don't say risk free, but relatively risk free investments yielding, you know, five, six percent, uh, which is, a, a, you know, pretty good yield. And obviously going back two or three years, if you could tell someone they could be in a money market fund yielding that uh, they would take that all day, you know, all day, every day. So, 
um, you know, it's big and we have seen that's kind of the, the hottest investment, if you will. It's been the hottest investment of 2023, I would say. It's been a, a big uh, um, kind of a keyword, really. Um, the other thing I'll note real quick is with the commodities, it's interesting with this commodity cycle because, you know, usually when you see commodities moving, it's kind of entering a boom cycle. You know, you have steel, you have construction, you have, you know, usually there's there's demand, right, for commodities. So you think building, you think, you know, growing. Uh, but this commodity cycle, if you will, that is causing it to move up is, is different, right? We're seeing um, commodities making it move up because of supply constraints. Uh, so, you know, you have the Israel-Hamas war going on, and that's constraining oil, causing the price to go up, or potentially constraining oil. Uh, you have the Ukrainian-Russian conflict, and that's constraining the price of wheat because they can't export it. So we're seeing wheat. So we're having these different inputs and outputs that are being constrained and causing the, the price of them to move upwards. Uh, and it's kind of causing a little bit of volatility and havoc within the commodities market. So it, it's a very interesting market than we've seen in the past. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays. Like, like you said, Brian, international has done very well so far. Um, we'll see if that continues. There are some headwinds, as I alluded to. There's a couple um, major conflicts now going on in the European content or continent. And then you have the potential of you know, outbreaks in the, in the Pacific. So there's some headwinds. Uh, but you know, I think a lot of people were surprised with how, how well uh, the international markets have done this year. So maybe they do continue to surprise. Yeah, they do. <clears throat> and currencies, which all the currencies are to us, are cash in someone else's country, essentially. That's what a currency is. And those are, that's moving up too, as much, not as much as our domestic cash, but that's moving up. And then the other, the other real headline story um, in this six, six asset class lineup, Chris, is fixed income. So fixed income is now at 79, and it's one of the lowest readings I've ever seen uh, in, in this lineup, but only 79 tally, tally scores. And uh, with fixed income going down and interest rates being higher for longer uh, on the Fed funds rate, and then they're talking about raising, they're even talking about raising either next year or later next year. So we may not see interest rates start to ease again until 2025. That's some of the talk that's going on now. So the bear market for fixed income continues. So Chris, a lot of folks are selling their bonds and just leaving in cash. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you don't have to worry about uh, the duration risk, right? That you have to hold that bond for 10 years and maybe interest rates, like you said, Brian, go higher and you're losing out on, you know, potential uh, more interest you could get. So uh, being in cash gives you the flexibility uh, to kind of deploy. And then also, I think a lot of people are looking, like you said, Brian, that at some point, it might be a year, it might be two years, we don't know, the Fed is eventually going to relinquish and start to lower rates. I think a lot of people are in anticipating that as a kind of a, a bottom and have to see the, or the markets rebound. So, um, you know, I think, you know, that's one of the prime reasons that money markets, um, including the yield, but another prime reason that they've been so popular this year. Yeah. So if, if fixed income, well, last year, fixed income, the index was down 12%, which is all total return. Uh, there was virtually no income, maybe 1% out of bonds at the beginning of the year, and then it spiked upwards so quickly. So, um, you know, people don't want to lose another 12% of their bonds. So they're selling bonds and holding money markets with whatever cash they can get out of their bonds and be able to buy bonds later on. Anyone who was around in the 1980s when interest rates were spiking upward, uh, September 1981 was the high for the federal funds rate of 16.4%. 
But from that point, then rates were starting to go down. And when I got in the industry in 1983, we had just seen the bull market kicked off in August of 1982. And they were talking about what they called disinflation. So instead of high inflation, they're talking about inflation going backward, meaning less severe. That's what we saw last year. But now inflation seems to be going up again in America. And interest rates are staying steady and might rise even higher. So why would people want to hold fixed income in that environment? Just like in the 70s and the early 80s, people were getting out of bonds as well. So, that, so that's where we are. So fixed income continues to be very, very difficult. You know, Chris, um, the markets broke uh, to new lows on October 3rd. And then we just broke those October 3rd lows again here recently. Uh, last week was a very difficult week in the market. And then uh, now, of course, yesterday we had a little rally after a difficult week. Uh, today's Tuesday, the 31st, and uh, market's up a little bit, but it looks like it might be rolling over and maybe we'll go back down even more. And, you know, the interesting thing, Chris, uh, from the market perspective is the S&P 500 is still up about 7%. But if you take out the top seven stocks, the S&P 493, so 500 minus seven, is flat on the year. And there are uh, 10 out of, or I'm sorry, eight out of 11 groups in the S&P are down on the year. So that just shows what, what the markets have done. The Dow Jones index is down on the year. So with only seven stocks out of the index outperforming, unless you put all your money in those seven stocks, you're probably down or flat for the year or even seriously down as a lot of investors are. So it's really kind of a messy, messy time. Uh, so after a messy, bad year last year, now we're having another sloppy year this year. So let's hope uh, things get better, right? That's all we can ask for. And they will, but it, but in the short run, it's been very difficult. Um, so Chris, and then uh, on Tuesday, we saw the bond yield hit over 5% last Tuesday. And now uh, big reversal back down to 4.8. So we still have that inverted yield curve. And, uh, and you're, you, you've talked about that a lot, Chris, that we have an inverted yield curve. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think whenever we have an inverted yield curve, uh, it's going to cause issue and havoc in the uh, bond markets and, um, and and even in the general in the stock market, right? When you can get more yield in the short term, uh, you can get a long term, then what's the incentive there? Um, you know, you think about, and, and I know some of the language with bonds for just for some of our general listeners is can sound a bit complicated, but you just think about it. The more you're holding an investment, so if you're going to buy a bond for that's going to pay you for 10 years, you're locking in an interest rate, usually you end up, you know, getting a little bit higher of an interest rate. Um, as, you know, as bonds come due and new new uh, companies have to roll out new bonds, you, what you get is this inverted yield. So that short-term bonds are actually paying higher interest than these long-term. Uh, and it, it causes a lot of issues and problems within the bond market, as you, you could imagine. Uh, and so you get kind of the prices get depressed on the long-term bonds and to bring the yields up and it causes a, a lot of um, volatility. So we're certainly seeing that play out here and, and it's most likely going to continue to play out. I mean, anytime you are pushing interest rates up, which is essentially what the Fed is doing, um, there is always going to be the anticipation or expectation of, um, you know, inadverted uh, yield curve like we're seeing now. Um, so it's not unexpected, but it certainly does cause um, issues within the, the general markets. Definitely. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And, 
about the economy. And Chris, you mentioned volatility. Also causing volatility is we have a new war, the Israeli war. Started on October 7th and uh, Hamas went into Israel, of course. Everyone's been hearing about this. Uh, so now you know, you know, all the different groups in the world are lining up either with, with the Hamas group uh, who you know, slaughtered and murdered people. And it was a crazy, crazy thing. And then, uh, of course, the Ukraine war is still going on with Russia. And now there's talk there might be a war in, in Taiwan where the Chinese want to get Taiwan back. And, and because America has been actually acting very weak in the current administration, there's still a belief that that might happen. So that we don't talk much about geopolitical politics, but now the, the volatility also may be partially being caused by uncertainty about the war. Certainly been an uncertain month with October uh, being a very, very strange month. Usually September is the worst month of the stock market, but this year October was for sure. So uh, we'll see if the volatility continues Treasuries uh, yields hit a 16-year high. Um, now, Chris, you've got a little more detail on the economy. The economy continues to expand uh, at higher rates than people figured, and inflation is going back up. Aren't, wasn't the Fed trying to raise rates to slow the economy down, Chris? Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's the economy has proven to be uh, more resilient, I think, than even uh, the Federal Reserve expected. Uh, and the latest GDP number that came out, I think, uh, like you said, Brian, was was way above expectations. Uh, so the U.S. GDP expanded at 4.9 percent at an annual rate of the, in the third quarter, and that's seasonally adjusted infl inflation adjusted, I should mention. Um, and that's more than double the pace of the second quarter. So, you know, I think there are, there are definitely a lot of reasons for this. That seems that seems large. I think you still have the U.S. consumer willing to spend. Um, inflation's there, but I think the job market has held up relatively well. We are seeing wage gains that there are certain areas that are that are holding. I think there still is. I mean, it's been a couple of years now since we've had this kind of COVID pandemic, but there's still a large pent up demand for traveling, for the services, going to restaurants um, and, and kind of things people had on their bucket list or checklist that they had to push off for two years. So I still think we're seeing kind of the tail end of that backlog uh, that, that was kind of unraveling out. Um, the other the other big key is, is you have a lot of the uh, baby boomer, boomer generation who are entering that retirement phase. And, you know, they've done pretty well. And now they have um, bond yields that are, your, you know, yields on money markets that are yielding them 5 6%. They're feeling more comfortable in their spending. So it's certainly that baby boomer generation that is um, helping crop up that, um, that spending that has driven this uh, GDP, uh, these GDP numbers we've seen. Um, Yes. On top of that, the employers, um, so with this just came out that employers spent 1.1% more on wages and benefits in the third quarter than the prior quarter. So we're starting to see that uh, wage gains reaccelerate. Um, this is good on one hand, but it's also an issue because, uh, and, and this has been front news with the, um, you've seen a lot of, we talked about this with the strikes, the union strikes, United Auto Workers, if any of you our listeners have listened to, um, you know, some of the news about it. I mean, what the United Auto Workers Union is asking for is, is quite considerable. I mean, 20% raises off the bat with tickers in the back end that raise another 5% for the first five years. I mean, really large numbers. So you think about it, what that impact that's going to have on the markets is it's going to reignite inflation. You're, you're adding a lot more money back into the market. Um, and if we see that get spread out amongst other groups, um, it'll be interesting to see. So it, it's a hard, it's great for, for the um, 
employees, I guess. It's great for, you know, these workers. But in the long run, what, what it's really going to do is just heat inflation back up. And we're almost going to have a potential feedback loop. Uh, and that's what the Fed does not want. Uh, so if you have if you have employees making more money, um, significantly more money, they're going to spend more. They're going to spend more. Prices are going to go up because demand is going to go up. Uh, and then you're going to have employees demanding more money because prices are going up. And you just have this feedback loop. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Um, and we really haven't seen the recession. That's why a lot of economists said, you know, to really have the impact the Fed needs, we need to have a recession, right? We need to have, we need to restrict. We need to not, not have employees getting raises. We need to have, you know, as sad as it is, you need to have firings. You need to have people, um, you know, being let go, things like that, because that restricts the amount being spent, lowers demand, and that's going to lower inflation overall. As simple as that. So we really haven't seen that. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but it's pretty fascinating, I would say, right now, where I don't think the Fed really, really uh, thought that this would be holding on this this labor market as much as it has. Well, um, and, and then, oops, I was going to say, Chris, so so about three weeks ago, um, the CNBC reporter, Rick Santelli, who uh, is famous for these rants, he did a rant back in 2010 uh, that led to the uh, movement, the Tea Party movement nationally, I did a rant about interest rates. So if, if, the, if the spike in interest rates we have had doesn't close off the economy and slow it down a little bit and you reduce inflation, inflation goes back up, Fed may have to keep raising. And he said by his chart, the Fed could go to 13% on, on uh, Fed funds rate and all the other rates would presumably be lower in an inverted yield curve. But at 13%, that would be horrific. And that would be a, a long way from here at 5%. So... Um, that could be very, very damaging, but by the trajectory, the way things have moved, that that looks like it, you know, it's a it's a possibility. I think it's a limited possibility, but anything's possible, Chris. Um, and and so then that would really create a lot of lot of changes in the economy. But if we don't solve this inflation, and we don't slow the economy down, that's causing the inflation, wage inflation, everything else, um, we we could see rates go higher. No, yeah, I mean certainly, yeah, I think that that obviously that what I would. I would consider B to be a worst case scenario, a, a tail end risk, if you will. Oh, for sure. um, but um, what's, I, I think right now the expectation is we're going to start, and, and we don't know. I mean, this could prove to be incorrect, but we're going to start to see some of this consumer spending dissipate over the next quarter or two. Uh, I will say we talked about this on here. We did have student loan repayments uh, resume, which is going to be a big chunk. And I think that's going to have a significant material impact on spending. Uh, now that you have uh, people who have now $900, in some cases, a thousand plus dollars of payments they have to make a month. Uh, so that's going to pull a lot of money out of the market. So um, we'll see. I think the expectation is that we're going to start to see uh, a slowdown uh, as we enter Q4. Or we're in Q4 now as we kind of enter the mid and, and end of Q4 and then into Q1. Uh, and we really have to, I think the Fed has to kind of take uh, note of that and kind of see where, you know, what the impact is there. That's why I think right now we're really in a wait and see, I think, measurement for the Fed. And the next quarter could dictate a lot. Yeah. So, so uh, you home sales numbers and a few other things, right? Yep. Uh, so then the, the next thing I'll, I'll touch on is existing home sales. They decreased 2% in September from the prior month. Uh, to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 3.96 million. Uh, so this is 
interesting enough, the lowest rate since October of 2010. Uh, and on an annual basis or year over year, the sales fell 15.4% from a year earlier. So we continue to see, we've talked about this, I think at length on this, this uh, podcast, but continue to see a slowdown in the uh, existing home sales market. And, and it's, it's causing a lot of crazy things to happen there. With these higher interest rates, you would expect, or the Fed would expect home prices to go down uh, because uh, buyers have to now bear a higher cost to purchase a home. Well, it did for about a month or two, but now we're starting to see home prices creep back up again because uh, that supply and demand is playing havoc. And since there's very, very limited supply and that demand's even staying somewhat the same, uh, we're seeing the home prices creep back upwards. So a really interesting uh, market right now in the real estate sector. And then pivoting yeah. to the interna international front, uh, we continue to see bad, bad news out of China. So China's purchasing managers index uh, for the manufacturing sector fell to 49.5 in October from 50.2 in September. So uh, for, um, if you guys will recall, anything below 50 is a contraction. So uh, we we're seeing China's manufacturing um, sector really start to move into contraction. A lot of that was due to weakening orders, both domestic, uh, so in China and overseas. Um, so we're seeing kind of a slowdown. And then that's a big deal for, for global growth as well. And that would point to uh, you know, a worsening market uh, coming down the line because China is a big consumer. And so if we're seeing China consume less, uh, it's definitely going to have a material impact on the, on the global uh, global world um, as far as consumption wise. And then the, the last thing I'll put in there, uh, the Eurozone GDP came in at an annualized 0.4% in the third quarter, um, which is a very stark contrast to the US GDP, which was 4.9%. So really seeing a deviation with the EU continuing to slow down um, and the US continuing to uh, accelerate, at least with the numbers we have so far. I will say the Inflation has come down significantly in the European markets. A lot of that was due to gasoline uh, shortages, things like that, uh, prices. Um, so we have seen that get reined in a little bit more. They had more extreme numbers in the top side. It's come back a little quicker. Um, but it seems like the Eurozone economy is certainly moving, slowing quicker than the uh, U.S. economy so far. Yes, it seems that way. So... Um... And then you had some other uh, comments about different companies too, if, if I remember right. Yep. So kind of what um, what I see out there, I guess, is um, so the X, which is the formerly Twitter, I guess, would be, <laughs> you always see it put that way. Uh, they just came out with their valuation of 19 billion, which uh, is a very, very long way from Musk's buy of the company, purchase of the company of 44 billion. Uh, and I believe... Musk finally fell below 200 billion in his net worth now uh, with this recent uh, kind of downgrade, if you will, or recent revaluation. Um, so uh, we continue to see that. Musk came out afterwards and he said that if his projections stand and if he, you know, how is he, he's anticipating to kind of mold the company into the future, he expects it to be worth upwards of $250 billion. Uh, you know, we'll see. That would be a tall order, but obviously uh, Elon Musk is a very uh, amazing guy. He's done crazy things before, so um, if anyone could do it, I'm sure he can. Uh, but uh, he certainly dug himself a bit of a hole in the short term, at least, so he's got a little ways to go. 
Uh, and then the last thing I'll touch on or give an update on the uh, Kaiser Permanente strike, which was the largest uh, strike for the uh, in the healthcare sector, largest strike on record. Uh, the healthcare workers actually went back to work without getting a new contract. So we saw the employer hold out and the, the workers go back to work and stop striking um, without a new contract. So they are still in negotiations, um, but they for right now have gone back to work. Ford, this is another one, Ford um, with the United Auto Workers has reached a tentative agreement or labor deal. Um, and so that could bring the six week strike for the UAW and Ford to an end. We still have General Motors and uh, Chrysler Stellantis um, are still in negotiations, their parent company Stellantis, I should say. Uh, so we continue to see that, um, but it'll be interesting. Nothing's been finalized yet that I've seen, but uh, it's promising, I guess, that we could at least have one of the major car makers um, go, go back to work. And then this being Halloween, I'd mentioned that candy is getting more and more expensive. Uh, prices for candy and gum jumped 7.5% in September of 2023 from 2022. Uh, so we continue to see candy be one of those, those, those major um, holidays now where, where people are having to shell out $50 to $100 to get candy just to, you know, celebrate and be able to hand it out to all the kids. So uh, one more thing of inflation that we're seeing uh, have a major impact. Yes. Well, it, it is interesting to see what the implications of our life and our culture in America when we go through all these periods of time. But, you know, candy is one of the losers in the whole thing, I guess. And uh, so that's affecting us all today because this is the day for candy, Halloween, handing out candy. And so we'll see, we'll see what that does to today. Uh, and it's interesting. Uh, Chris, back to the unions, you, know, you mentioned how, you know, the GM is still striking and then, you know, they announced very good earnings, but then the unions announced the strike at their Arlington plant uh, with General Motors. That's where they make their most profitable vehicles, Escalade, Suburban, Denali. So they've decided not to give earnings guidance because of that. And the other, the other interesting trend is because of all the changes in the economy, we're seeing a curtailing of the electric vehicle uh, production due to lower demand. So uh, you know, the dream scenario for some of the administration is that everybody drives an electric vehicle and they're getting rid of fossil fuels. That's certainly the environmentalist's view of the world. Well, it turn, turns out that people aren't that into electric vehicles. And uh, so they're still buying vehicles, but they're buying a, a higher percentage now of, of old fossil fuel style uh, vehicles. So um, they're, they're betting on, on lithium ion batteries. They've invested $2 billion in factories to do that. Uh, even though the Biden administration is heavily subsidizing, they had expected significantly more than that too. Uh, so it, you know, it's 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 interesting uh, how things go. Even though the government wants to push a certain thing, sometimes the people say no. And right now they're kind of trending the other way on electric vehicles. Um, other things that are except upsetting the markets. You know, the grain markets. Um, you know, were really really wild last year because of. Uh, all the activity going on in Ukraine, which is 20% of the world's breadbasket. It's the most fertile fields in the world is in Ukraine. And now the St. Lawrence Seaway, there's a block going on and a lot of the boats. And so that may roil the grain markets again in the short run. Um, we're also seeing Bitcoin is up sharply. Uh, there's rumors of regulatory approval because Bitcoin isn't really accepted everywhere and it's not accepted as a, as a real currency in a lot of places. Uh, but if they get regulatory approval more and more in, in various states, um, you know, we could see Bitcoin continue to run. 
Um, and then uh, in, in October, after we hit the lows, before we hit the recent lows, we were seeing what they call a January effect where stocks started to pop because they were all getting hit so badly. And then they started to pop and maybe we'll see a little bit more of the January effect in October. Um, so, you know, um, again, interesting circumstances. As, as we mentioned, there's an awful lot of tension in the world um, with all the different wars that are going on. And so we'll see how that uh, affects everybody. Um, you know, we did finally get a House speaker uh, because the Republican House, uh, mem certain members ousted the current speaker. And now we finally got another speaker after about 10, 10, 12 days, I think. But we did put a blog post out on that. And that's kind of stabilization that we, destabilization that we don't need as an economy. Uh, but, you know, it, it did roll the markets a little bit, but now it's coming back. And so um, you know, we have we settled on Mike Johnson down in Louisiana. And of course, now, of course, the different people don't like him, but we'll see where they go. I did meet uh, some of the other leaders before uh, who didn't make it to the top, Tom Emmer and, uh, and Steve Scalise. They're actually great guys, but they didn't attract enough of the caucus to get the speakership. So but now we have a stable government, hopefully again. Although our U.S. budget deficits are very, very high, uh, the top two trillion for the last fiscal year, and of course it's a wartime, so we're spending more and more money on war. But it still seems like um, we're spending way more than we should. Um, the Fed admitted now that last week there were eighty-three billion dollars of assets that left the banks alone. And one thing we talked about with interest rates rising. The banks have a harder time making money because they have to pay more in deposits to bring money in and they're not making as much on bonds or other things they might do and the housing market is, is slowing down a little bit so um, if the banks don't get their profit equation back uh, and under control like earlier this year we could see some banks fail anybody who was around in the 1980s uh, was around when the resolution trust corp was formed by the reagan administration to accept receivership of all the savings and loans that went under to the point that the majority of the savings loan industry went under. They decided to actually end FSLIC, Federal Savings and Loan Insurance Corporation, and melt everything into FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corp, which insures, which insures the banks. Uh, so they turned savings loan into banks. They got rid of many of the savings loans because they were insolvent. So we could see more banks being solvent here. We'll see how, how bad it gets if interest rates keep going higher. So um, it's in a very, very strange time. Hopefully things bottom out and we see the economy start to actually recover without all the inflation. If we have a normal low inflation economy, then that's good. But we've got to whip inflation before we can, can do that. So that's really the big hurdle. Um, so anyway, that's where we are here today, folks. Um, the economy is still... Um, you know, positive, but with high, higher and, and high and increasing inflation. So we need to see inflation go back down uh, because inflation caused growth really isn't good growth because it erodes the spending power of individuals. So we need to see inflation go down. And so the markets have been choppy as a result of that. Uh, commodities are back in the lead. So it's a very strange time. Let's hope things get better. So we pray for the world. Until uh, we get over these wars, we pray for America and the, the economy will recover in a, in a proper way over the next couple of years. So in the meantime, the four-star protection plan is in place and we've raised a lot of cash, Chris, and we're being very protective. We're not maximum levels yet, but we could get there very soon and then we'll just hunker down and hope we don't have a big downturn in the market. 
but right now uh, we're kind of on the losing end of that uh, equation. So let's hope things turn around. Like I said, let's pray for everything to turn around. I think that's all we got today, Chris. Yep, that sounds like sounds good. Thanks, Pat. Okay, well, great, everybody. Then um, we'll leave it there. Thanks, everybody, for being with us on this Halloween spooky, snowy in Chicago version of the four star today's market explained. We'll be back in November with another episode. We have some other great interviews coming out, a few blog posts. If you go on to the fourstarwealth.com and look at the leadership matrix and all the other blog blogs that are there, there's a lot of interesting things that are being posted. Uh, we put a piece out about the house speaker, but that's already already resolved at this point. So thanks everybody. We'll be back very soon with another episode. Uh, we'll leave it there. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep on growing out there, everyone.